Welcome to the Encounter Christian Church Message Podcast, where we bring you the latest messages from our Sunday services. To find out more about Encounter or to plan your visit with us, you can find us online at www.encounter.cc. We hope you enjoyed this message. So I want to tell you a little bit about myself. If you don't already know me, my name is Aston. My husband, Glenn, and I are part of the pastoral team here at Encounter. Um, We've been married for 13 years, and we've been involved in church ministry in one way or another ever since we met. Um, We have three children now. Our daughters, Ruby and Willow, they're identical twins, and they are nine. And our son, Wolfgang, is five. They are all absolutely delightful. And we are so grateful to have three healthy, happy kids Um, So, I get to speak to you this morning as a mother, but I just told you the ages of my kids. We're not exactly out of the woods yet, are we? We haven't yet had to traverse the choppy waters of adolescence, so please, I'm not posing as any sort of expert today. I ask you to view me rather as a fellow soldier in the trenches, (laughs) because family life can get crazy sometimes, right? And mums, we're busy, aren't we? I wonder if there's anyone here this morning, mums, who sometimes feel like your brain doesn't work quite like it used to before you had kids. So I've already got one laugh. So I know someone's identifying. Now, I'm asking for a friend, of course. Do any of you ever forget things and maybe lose things? All right, good. I'm not really asking for a friend. It's me. I'm the forgetful mum, okay? Do we have any other forgetful mums in the house today? Maybe you have a forgetful mum. Don't put your hand up if you have a forgetful mum. It's Mother's Day. You're supposed to be nice to us. Um, I actually specialise in misplaced goods, right? And I don't mean I specialise in finding them. I'm really good at losing things. I got so good at losing my keys last year that my husband, Glenn, actually bought me a gift to celebrate. I mean, he didn't say it was a gift to celebrate, but that's how I chose to receive it. So what he bought me was this little Bluetooth tag that attaches to my key ring, and he linked it up with an app on my phone so that now when I lose my keys, I can actually open this app on my phone and track the location of my keys using Bluetooth. I know, right? It's so amazing. And it works really well for all the times that I haven't lost my phone as well as my keys. (laughs) I actually have a picture that sort of sums up this feeling that I found this week. I don't know if you can read that from where you're sitting, but this beautiful woman saying, I used to have functioning brain cells, but I traded them in for children. (laughs) So I can tell by the laughter scattered around the room that I'm not alone. Um, I recently discovered some research that's been done in the last couple of years investigating this phenomenon of the forgetful mum. And ladies, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the science is in. And it's actually true that we do have worse memories once we have children. It's been proven. A whole bunch of research studies have been done in the last couple of years trying to find out if it's true. And once they worked out that yes, it is, they've now been trying to establish what's the reason for this? Is it hormones, lifestyle factors? What's going on with mums that we're losing our minds? Um, And it turns out there's a really good reason. They actually have discovered what's causing this forgetfulness in mums. And it's something that they label mental load. Some of you are recognising already what I'm talking about. One of the studies that I read 
actually defined mental load this way, the burden of remembering and reminding. Now, I feel like whoever came up with that phrase had to be a mother of primary schoolers because seriously, that feels like what I spend most of my day doing all the time is remembering and reminding. Like it could be the name of my first book, right? Motherhood, remembering and reminding. So this is to do with the mental work of managing a household. We know that men have like woken up. It's 2019 now. They're helping around the house. They're doing the physical tasks of, you know, domestic care and childcare. We're sharing that beautifully these days. But when it comes to this mental load of managing the mental load of house management, right? So this is things like communication with the school and childcare services. What day is library day? Um, when are the basketball fees due, all of this sort of dates and calendar and planning, even in households where the physical labour is equally shared, women are bearing between 75 and 90% of the mental load of household management. All right? I'm not having a go at dads at all here. I'm just relaying the facts. Um, don't shoot the messenger, dads, okay? Um, the reason I'm telling you this is all of these mental load details are actually processed by the part of our brains called the working memory. Or if you're like me, you're not working memory, right? And so there's actually only so many details that this part of your cognitive function can manage at any one time. So once you reach maximum capacity, in order to take on new details, you have to forget some old ones. And that's why if you're like me, you can remember to book little Sally's dentist appointment on your lunch break at work and forget where you put your keys, right? So all of that to say this, mums, next time you lose something or forget something, instead of becoming frustrated with yourself or disappointed, I give you permission to do a little victory dance. Because guess what? Your brain is operating at maximum capacity that day. Congratulations! Now, I'm having some fun with the mums here today, and yes, we might be more forgetful than other segments of society, but I'm sure that we can all relate to the feeling of being overwhelmed at times, to suffering from mental overload. In mums, it might look like forgetfulness. In someone else, it might look like sleeplessness, or anxiety, or worry, or stress. We've all got things that can come and stress us out. Work, family pressures, financial stress, Relationship strain. You know, in this modern world with digital technology, we now have more information accessible at our fingertips than ever before, and psychologists are theorising that this is actually why we're starting to see so many new different types of anxiety emerging in our young people. These are the ones who are the most prolific users of digital media, right? And there's just so much choice that people are getting decision fatigue and actually having this underlying sense of being on edge because of all of this stuff just right there all the time. And there's all these solutions offered to this type of stress that we're all exposed to in this modern world, from meditation to essential oils, keeping a gratitude journal, even the keto diet is supposed to cure brain fog. That sounds awesome, sign me up. I'm not making fun of any of those things, I'm sure they each have their merits. But what I want to talk to you today about is just one thing that trumps all of these when it comes to bringing peace into your inner world. There's one daily habit that will transform your life and bring peace inside no matter what you're facing outside, and it's reading the Bible. 
Now, some of you might be a dis- bit disappointed that I'm not offering something more glamorous than reading the Bible today. Um, but I can tell you with full confidence, from my own experience, that something as old-fashioned and simple as reading the Bible actually has so much power. And it's been a lifeline for me in some really difficult times. And I want to share some of those times with you today so that you might start to believe that this could work for you too. I've chosen two times in my life to share with you today and two really quite famous scriptures that have changed my life. And the first one is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Now, the two scriptures I've picked today, they're both sort of from the hottest 100 of Christian scriptures that we like to share with each other. I come from a Christian family, and I was raised hearing this one. Cast all your anxiety on him, that's God, because he cares for you. I don't know if you've heard this before. Um, I always grew up hearing it and sort of thought it was a Christian way of saying a problem shared is a problem halved, right? That sharing your problems with God, perhaps in prayer, is uh, just like talking to your mum about your troubles. Maybe nothing really changes, but you feel better because you've talked to someone who cares about you. And that's nice. That's a comforting thought. Um, And I never really thought too much more about it. But when I was 19 years old, I was going into my second year of university. And unfortunately, I had not enjoyed my first year very much. And so I was facing the decision of whether or not to withdraw from the course that I was studying. Um, And because I'd moved away from Shepparton to Brisbane to study in the first place, deciding to leave uni actually had brought with it this whole raft of other choices that I had to make. Where would I live? Would I move back home with my parents? Would I stay in Brisbane? What kind of work would I do? Could I afford to live out of home on my own in the city? All of these things that I was trying to work out. And as the enrolment day drew closer and closer, I started to get so anxious. You see, I'm the type of person who feels safest when I'm in control. And so to make this decision, I wanted to have every single option worked out, where I was going to live, where I was going to work, I wanted to review my budget, I wanted to be able to see all of the details of every option so I could be sure that the decision I was going to make would be the best one for me. And around this same time, I'd been gifted this set of like flashcards with memory verses on them, verses from the Bible, and I'd been trying to commit them to memory. And one of them was this from 1 Peter, cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. And while I was going through these scriptures, I noticed every time I got to this one, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, I actually didn't feel good when I read it. And I had this resistance to what this verse was telling me to do. So I actually prayed about it. And I was like, God, I don't want to ignore what your word says. You know, I believe that Um, this is your word and I actually really want to do what it says but I also really don't want to do what it says can you help me understand what this is about because I don't I didn't want to give my anxiety to God and I realized in prayer God helped me to realize that what I was doing by worrying about all of these details is I was just trying to work out an answer and I thought if I stopped worrying then I wouldn't work out an answer so I didn't want to give my anxiety to God and then have nobody be working for an answer for me. And so in prayer about this verse, God actually showed me that there is another way to read this scripture from 1 Peter. You know, people can do things 
for you. It can mean, you know, someone's doing something to you or they're doing something for you, as in they're doing something on your behalf. And so I'd been reading this as in God gives his care to me. But God showed me I can also read this like God will care for me. He will care on my behalf. So all that stuff I thought, if I give this to God and then live in some oblivious world of pretend peace, no one's going to come up with an answer to these problems. I didn't actually trust God to work on my behalf yet. And so I realized that what this scripture probably really meant for me was that I needed to tell God the things I was worried about and the types of answers I was looking for and let him work on my behalf, trust him to do that work. And so I prayed a prayer just like that. And I explained everything I was worried about. And I said, God, I'm taking a step of faith in trusting you to do some of this work on my behalf. Would you work out these details for me and give me peace? I asked him to illuminate what my path. There's another part in the Bible that says his word does that for us. It illuminates our paths. It makes our paths straight. And so I gave that anxiety to him. And within a week... I had made the decision to leave university. I'm sorry, dads and mums who are trying to convince your kids to go to uni right now. Um, I'd made that decision to leave and I felt complete peace and I had actually been offered a full-time job that I didn't even apply for. I was able to stay in Brisbane, stay a part of the church that I'd um, grown really attached to and in that church, six months later, I met Glenn. And in that church, we got called to ministry and the rest, as they say, is history. So that's my first example, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. And uh, my next one, this is like not even hottest 100. This is really top five Bible scriptures, right? Even if you've never been to church before, I'm sure you've come across this one somewhere along the way. It's the 23rd Psalm. And uh, this is what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a comfort just in hearing those words, isn't there? It's one of the most beautiful things ever written. You know, there's a reason the Bible's the world's best-selling book. But there's more than just comfort to be found in these words. If you study the text closely, you discover there's a lot more to it. Now, I prepared a study on this psalm a long time ago, up in Brisbane, I was speaking at a women's event and I wanted to share about this psalm and God led me to it. And as I studied it, all of these extra layers of meaning started to be revealed to me. You know, David, who wrote this psalm, he was the king of Israel when he wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. But he actually wasn't born in a royal household. David, when he was young, was a shepherd boy. So there's actually something more meaningful about a boy who was a shepherd and who as a man was leading a nation and tending to the needs of his people, like he learned to tend to the needs of his sheep, saying, the Lord is my shepherd. What he poured out in his work, he trusted God to do for him. 
And, you know, there's, there's too much to go into here, but, you know, uh, just a few things. When he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, this is the images and the tools of shepherding, right? We all know what a shepherd's crook looks like. And this is something that a shepherd would use to actually keep his little sheep on the path while he's leading them from pasture to pasture, to just knock them, you know, if they're starting to stray, knock them back onto the path. That hook around the end, you'd grab a sheep around the neck as an emergency measure, not as a punishment, if it was about to walk into danger. Scoop it up and put it back on the path. And this is what it says, David said God did for him. He's using the language of his own work to describe what God does for him. And you know, you anoint my head with oil. Do you know that part of the way David became king was to be anointed with oil by the prophet, God's representative on earth at that time? But something he used to do as a shepherd, if his little sheep did get into trouble, if they wandered off into, you know, some thickets and got scratched. They had wool covering all of their bodies to protect them except on their faces. And so part of the shepherd's kit, and they would keep it around their belt, was oil. A bit like lip balm, it's like a wax that you would rub with your hands and turn it to oil. And he would use the oil to clean the wounds on the sheep's face. He would clean it and get all the germs away and it would create a barrier to stop them getting infected. It would stop them bearing the scars into their future of the times they'd walked astray. Do you know that is what God does for us? It's what God did for David. We, if you know much about the Bible, you probably know his history. He walked astray sometimes. But God's anointing on him meant that he, he didn't have to bear the scars of his wanderings into his future. It's actually so beautiful. There's so much in the Bible when you get in there and read all about it. But the main thing I want you to hear is that David was a shepherd and he called God his shepherd. So I wonder if David had been a carpenter, would we know the words, the Lord is my carpenter, I shall not want. If he'd been a blacksmith, might he have written, the Lord is my blacksmith, I shall not want. I'm not even going to try to imagine what those metaphors might be. I don't know anything about those things. But here, just as a thought experiment, for all the mums in the room today, if David had been a mother, what might he have said? Could he have said, the Lord is my mother? He keeps me well-fed and dressed. He surrounds me with affection. He comforts me when I'm hurt. You know, what you pour out, he can fill up for you. When my twins were very small, they were not gifted with the art of sleep. And there was a good year in my life where I thought, I may never sleep again. And honestly, many times a day during that period in my life, the thought would cross my mind, oh my gosh, these kids have it so good. What I wouldn't give right now for somebody to feed me and wrap me up in a blanket and pat me until I fall asleep, which at that point in time would have taken milliseconds, right? And the Lord reminded me of this study that I had done years before. And he said, Aston, what you pour out for your daughters, I will fill up for you so that you can keep pouring out everything that you need, you can find in him. I just want to brief aside here for a moment. If you're a mum with a baby who's not sleeping, I want to tell you, yes, God can do this for you, but also 
it will end, okay? It does get better. You're going to make it through. We're with you, cheering you on, and God will continue to fill up your strength in the meantime. Now, I'm not sharing these stories with you today to show you how good I am at understanding the Bible. I've actually chosen two really well-known scriptures so that you can see how even familiar scriptures can come alive to you in new ways to bring strength in a season of your life when you need them, if you study them, but you have to know them first. And perhaps you have a host of reasons why the thought of committing to reading the Bible is just not going to work for you. It's intimidating. You don't have time. You don't know how. You think you won't understand it. So, in order to illustrate for you today how simple it can be to read the Bible as part of your everyday life, I've prepared a simulation for you. You might have noticed my little setup over here. Maybe people over there can't see, so I'm going to hold these things up for you. Um, Here's all it takes for me to read the Bible every day. I have my Bible, um, a little notebook, which was given to me by Pastor Bernadette, actually, Um, but it can be an expensive journal that's really precious to you, or it can be an exercise book from the supermarket that costs 70 cents. A pen, and this is not exactly essential for everyone, but for me it feels very essential. I like to start my day with coffee, right? So it's literally this simple. uh, Ideally, this happens before my kids are up in the morning, okay? But it doesn't always work that way. You just fit it in wherever you can. I certainly never put pressure on myself to be up for the kids until I started getting a full night's sleep pretty regularly. So I like to have my coffee. And uh, then I start by opening the Bible. You can follow a reading plan, or you can, you know, just try and set out to read a book of the Bible. At the moment, I'm reading through Matthew. And I'm doing one verse at a time. I've done plans in the past where you read the Bible in a year. um, And it might set four chapters a day or something like that. I did that for a really long time until I had three kids and it just... I didn't have time anymore. So now I do something even easier. It doesn't matter how you do it. You do something that works for you. So I open up the Bible. At the moment, I'm up to Matthew 22. And I just want to introduce you to the method I use for actually journaling what I'm reading. So so if you could pop that on the screen. Allow me to introduce you, church, to the SOAP method. I don't know how well you can read that from back there, but this is something that someone taught me a really long time ago. And being able to do this as a journaling method has actually made reading the Bible so accessible and achievable for me. So the S is for scripture. And here is where you just write down what you've read. I write the whole verse because I'm doing only a verse at a time. If you're reading chapters, you might just write the chapter, you know, for example, Matthew 20, and not have to write down every word. That would take ages. Um, The O is for observation. So once you have read the scripture... You answer the question, what do I observe about this verse? Maybe who is speaking, to who are they speaking, where and why? What stands out to you about this? And then the A is for application. How can I apply this verse to my life? Or how does it apply to a present situation? And then the P is for prayer. And you just journal a quick little prayer to God in response to what you've heard him speaking to you through the word that day. That's it. Five to ten minutes a day and I'm done. And some of you are thinking, Aston, are you serious? Five to ten minutes a day. You just talked about this like you're a Bible scholar. Five to ten minutes a day doesn't sound very impressive, does it? 
that actually can change your life. And you add that up over every single day for 20 years or 30 years, however long you have left on this earth, it's going to make a really big difference to your life. You can do that in a cafe. You can do it in your car. You can do it in bed. You don't even need a Bible like the one I have. You can get an app on your phone that has the whole Bible in it. Some of them even have um, reading plans that will help you to tick it off as you go along. I want to mention here audio Bibles. Glenn asked me to include this for you because he hates reading of any sort, not just the Bible, but he just never reads. And so, yeah, (laughs) high five. Um, Some of you might be like that. What has worked for him is getting the Bible on audio. So while he's mowing the lawn or driving in the car, riding his bike, whatever, he'll listen to the Bible while he's doing those things. And he gets through whole books sometimes in one afternoon, which is a great way to just get washed in the Word. Um, If you are a worker who spends a lot of time in the car driving to your jobs, this could be something that works really well for you. It really doesn't matter how you do it. Just take the time to make it a part of your life. There is just one more thing I want to say. Glenn, can you pass that um, Bible up to me, please? Thank you. Because I know we've got kids here, okay? So I assume you're all the the kids or young people in the room right now have been raised in Christian families, okay? And that's why you're in church today. Some of you think that reading the Bible is just for old people. And I want to tell you that it's really not. In fact, as far as I'm concerned, the younger you start, the better. And I've asked Glenn to pass me this Bible. This was given to me, I read in the... Um, little page in the front where you record this. Um, This was given to me by my parents when I was baptised in June 1997. I was 14. And I remember when I was 15, the next year, I don't know why. I actually cannot remember what prompted this. But I decided that I was going to read the Bible from cover to cover. I didn't know anything about hearing from God back then. So it probably was God prompting me to do that, but I didn't know that. I just thought, I'm going I'm to read it. I grow up in this Christian family. I want to know what it says. And I didn't even know you could get reading plans then. My plan for reading the Bible was to start at Genesis 1 and stop when I was done. And I want to show you something. This is what that looked like for me for 10 months of 1998. In pink gel pen, no less. Chapter 1 has a pink circle around it. That means I read it. And then... You can actually go through the whole Bible all the way and see every chapter heading circled in pink gel pen because I just kept going and going until I was done. Now, I can't tell you any great revelations that I got from reading the Bible at 15, but I feel really sure that doing it at that age made it seem like something I could do at this age. It made it accessible to me. You are never too young to start reading the Bible and to start understanding it. If I'd known at 15 how to do a soap journal look out. You guys are going to be doing great things. Get into the Word of God. What I'm really trying to say for everyone here today is you can do this. You don't have to be special. You just have to start. And reading the Bible is not just for super spiritual people, by the way. I can't promise that it won't make you more spiritual. But it's just for normal people looking for real answers. I want to see you all finding strength in this and growing in confidence. If you're sitting here this morning and you've already established the practice of reading the Bible and applying it to your life, can I challenge you? Find somebody who's just starting out. 
and help them. Catch up with them, even if it's just a phone call once every couple of weeks to say, how are you going with reading the Bible? What are you reading at the moment? Share with them something you're getting out of your own reading. Make it seem like something people can do because you can. Now, soap journaling, I'm so pleased to be able to pass that on to anybody that that might help, but there are so many different ways and methods that will work for people. That's just what works for me. Now, reading the Bible is neither a punishment nor a chore. Does that look difficult, sitting on a chair with a cup of coffee and reading for five minutes? It's the best part of my day. It's actually a tool to power up your life and to bring peace into a chaotic world or a mentally, physically demanding season. Mums, you are doing an incredible job. So please, one last disclaimer from me. The last thing I want is to add yet another thing to your to-do list. This isn't another thing to fail at. You know, when I pray every day, part of what I pray is really similar to what I learned all those years ago from 1 Peter 5 verse 7. And I actually, rather than writing my to-do list first in the morning, most of us have one running through our head anyway, there's that mental load, I sit down and I do start my day like this as often as I can. And part of my P or my prayer to God is, Lord, you know what's on my to-do list today. Would you be my rememberer and my reminder? Would you please illuminate the things that I need to focus on today? Give me strength and grace to discharge my responsibilities faithfully. And I actually write my list after I've prayed so that I know I've invited God into those things and brought him into my day. Instead of adding this to your list, why don't you make it the place from which you write your list? God does care for you. He cares for you and he cares on your behalf. He can help shape your list. You know, in just that five to ten minutes a day, that's really the main amount of study I do and the main way I study the Bible. I worked out this week that in the last 12 months, I've preached 15 different sermons. And every single one of them has come out of something I read just in that five to ten minutes a day. And by the way, I've been reading Matthew for two and a half years now. No one's noticed that my key scripture, every one of those times, has been from Matthew. Now, I know for most of you, your goal is not to be able to preach 15 times in a year. For most of you, it's probably a goal to avoid ever having to stand up here like this. But can you imagine having something overflowing, something to say when you need it, something to impart into your children or into your colleagues? Imagine this actually having an answer to someone's problems. You can do this. It is for everybody. Why don't you try it? Even if it's just for 10 days, give it a shot. God has so much that he wants to share with us and the Bible is the absolute best place to start when it comes to hearing from God and finding peace. I want to invite the band to come back up now because I'm getting ready to finish up. I've got one last scripture I want to share with you before I close. This is found in Psalm chapter 1. Now, the book of Psalms is an excellent place to start if you're worried about getting into the Bible, you want to ease your way in. It starts like this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Now, that just means someone who doesn't take his advice from the world around him. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, if you don't already know that, the law of the Lord is just what they called the Bible before it was formatted into what we call the Bible. That's God's word. 
His delight is in God's word. And on this word, he meditates day and night. Now, this person who loves the word, here's what the Bible has to say about that. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. And whatever he does or she prospers. Would you stand today? I'd love to pray for you before I go. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, which is alive and powerful and life-giving and for everyone. Lord, I just release your anointing upon this group of people this morning. Lord, I pray that you would seal up this word in the hearts of those who have heard it. God, that you would birth a hunger for your word, that you would make this seem possible to people. God, that you would make all of these men and women and young people like trees planted by streams of water. May whatever we do prosper in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To stay in touch with Encounter, follow us on Instagram at encounter.cc or find us on Facebook at encounter.shepherdens.